Tonight what I want to talk about is uh, another aspect that we're going to add on to our understanding of relationships in the body. And I've simply entitled it Group Discipling. And I, I really want you to open up your heart tonight to what the Bible says about discipling in a group. Because, uh, you know, there, there's different aspects of relationship, but the, the older that I get as a disciple, the more I'm convinced how important it is to be a part of a group, a fellowship, that really presents us perfect in Christ. And I think you're going to understand that a little bit more as we go through the lesson here. But let me just say that after years, really, of trying to make it on their own, in society today, we've really come into a phase, certainly in the business world, certainly in the self-help world, where society once again is realizing their need for groups. We have support groups of all different kinds. You know, lose weight, get in a group. Might be important this time of year. Overcoming addictions. We know about groups with that, like AA and other groups. Uh, we have groups to support you when you're grieving. And the power of a group among a grieving person is so healing. Financial peace that I just announced a few moments ago is, is really a support group when it comes to stewardship. Uh, single parenthood. We have support groups in our church for that. We have really special interest groups of all types. And I, I believe eventually most human beings realize that they just aren't going to be fulfilled if they try to do things on their own. God has not made us that way. Group discipling, if you will, was very common in the ministry of Jesus. So I want to take a few moments here as we uh, go through this rather quickly. And I want to go just one gospel, the gospel of Mark. One of my favorite gospels. The gospel of Mark. And uh, I, I think we're going to see that it really contains some helpful examples of group discipling. In fact, I think you're going to be really amazed. So let's let's look now at some Real quick examples of how Jesus implemented the community that we've been studying for 28 days in small groups. And let's see what there is to learn from that for us here tonight as we try to imitate him. Alright, number one. Let's look at Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7 we read about uh, the Pharisees beating on Jesus' disciples about uh, not holding to the Mosaic law, really specifically the tradition of the elders, eating unclean food, not going through the ceremonial washings. And we read in Mark 7, in the midst of all that, in verse 17, after Jesus kind of lays the Pharisees out for their hypocrisy, an interesting thing in verse 17, it says, After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. 
And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. After Jesus, you see, had taught the crowds about what was unclean, he answered the disciples' question in a more private setting. I'm sure they appreciated the privacy, since Jesus prefaced his remarks by saying to them, Are you still so dull? And you thought your Bible talk leader was hard on you. One of the most effective ways I think we learn here, very importantly, to train others. I want you to really hear this. One of the most effective ways to train others are real life situations. I think back to my training for the ministry. I mean, uh, pretty remarkably, I was uh, just over two years old as a disciple when I went out into the ministry. Actually, I was less than two years old as a disciple when I went to take over the campus ministry and begin it at the University of Missouri. And I can remember as a young Christian my, my training. It was very, very intense. And uh, basically how my training worked, if you're curious, is that I would often get pulled aside with a couple other brothers that were training for the ministry in a midweek setting or a Sunday morning setting or after a Bible talk or maybe at the end of sitting in on a Bible study or a class. And I would be asked things like, what did you learn? What did I do and why did I do it? Would you have done things differently? If so, why? And I, uh, I think you cannot underestimate the impact that that has on maturing a man walking with another man. Jesus didn't send his disciples to a seminary. He pulled them aside in small groups and he taught them, very importantly, and reinforced Bible teaching. And some of the best opportunities to teach are done in small groups. Number two, in Mark chapter 9, we, uh, we see a time when the disciples tried to heal a boy with a demon, an epileptic sp uh, spirit in this case, an evil spirit. And uh, they fell. Jesus is not there. And it says uh, that he comes in. Eventually, Jesus drives the demon out, the evil spirit out. And in verse 28, it says, After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Once again here, we see a discipleship group. A spontaneous one, but nonetheless, a discipling group. And in particular here, this is a time that we see where Jesus was using it to strengthen their faith. You think that could be a possible benefit of being in a small discipling group? 
Jesus was uh, focused on the process of building faith. He came down from the Mount of Transfiguration on this occasion and quickly entered the Valley of Reality, as we do every day. And, uh, you know, he helps them understand that they failed because of their lack of prayer. But uh, after their failure, he calls a D-group together, and he, if you will, debriefs them on why they failed. And the rest of the text shows how much he was preparing them to have enough faith for the time when he would be betrayed. But we see here another example of Jesus using a D-group, in this case, to strengthen their faith. Then we only have to go a little further in Mark chapter 9, and we see that a uh, time comes about when they are walking on the road, the disciples, that Bible talk, and uh, they're kind of arguing about who would be the greatest when they all went to heaven. None of us can relate to that, I'm sure. And uh, in verse 33 of Mark 9, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Because on their way, they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. Calls a D group. Wait a minute, we already had one this month. We're not supposed to have another one until February. What's that about? I mean, they, they had one right there already in chapter 9. I mean, how many D-groups per chapter do we need to have here? Are you with me? Anyway, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child, had him stand among them, take him in his arms. He said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. You know, lessons delivered in a large setting like this are by nature somewhat hit and miss. I know you guys have had, some of you, a really hard week already. And so, you know, you're, you're really trying to be great disciples, you're trying to give full attention, but, you know, you, you got your iPhone there, your galaxy there and you know things are distracting I, I realize in a big group it's pretty hit and miss and then then you got those guys sitting on the back row I mean I don't know how to think about them but amen amen I amen they're, they're, they're with me I can see them but in a small group the need is well in sight and you're able to address things much more with pinpoint accuracy boy they get down to it here it's not harsh, it's not unloving, but it's very specific, and it starts with simply a question, a very innocent question. Hey, by the way, what were you guys talking about? Actually, what were you arguing about on the road a few hours ago? And uh, one of the greatest metaphors and one of the greatest lessons in all of Jesus' teaching unfolds in a Bible talk. And you see how creative a D-group can really be. You know, you think the children sometimes are an annoyance, just bring them in and make them part of your lesson, uh, as Jesus did here. And then uh, in Mark chapter 10, you have the request of James and John. 
you know, one wanted to sit at his right, the other wanted to sit at his left. And, you know, the rest of this history there, I'm, I'm going to skip over that. And let me just go to the last one here, Mark 12, uh, again in the Gospel of Mark. And we see a really interesting setting for a D group. It says in, uh, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 41 that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny, calling the disciples to him. A D group. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. You know, i got to tell you, when it comes to a D group, it kind of leads me to believe that there's not much off limits of what we can talk about. Because if you can talk about money and what people give in a group setting, well, let's just lay it out. It doesn't get much more touchy than that. I think it's always sobering for me here to see that God does pay attention to what we give. And whether it is out of sacrifice or out of plenty. But when this poor widow came and made her amazing sacrifice, he just thought, you know, I can't wait till March to have another D group. I've got to just call these guys over and we've got to talk about this right now. And for their little group session, he gives them... Quite a lesson about financial giving in the eyes of God. You see, Jesus knew that pride and materialism were going to be some of the biggest challenges the disciples would face. Pride he deals with when they were arguing on the road. Materialism he deals with here, maybe more preventative, but really trying to get their hearts right. So... Let me just sum up the D groups we looked at here. There were four of them. Biblical examples of Jesus using group community, group discipling. The first is he uses it as a time to reinforce biblical teaching. Secondly, he uses it as a time to strengthen their faith. Third, he uses it as a time to surface... And he had to surface this need when they were arguing, and he met the need. And fourth, we just saw from the example of the widow, it's a time of maturing, of calling them to have the heart of God in all things. You know, it's great to spend 28 days talking about relationships. It's awesome to talk about the church needing and wanting to be the community of God. But I've learned a long time ago, you can talk about it, you can study it out in the scriptures, but you better have a plan to implement one another Christianity. Because without a plan, it simply many times just becomes the greatest of intentions, but not a whole lot happens. 
I just want to say something pretty, uh, pretty bold and straightforward here. We're going to spend about two months, roughly, looking at community as God really designates the church to be. A biblical community. A loving community. By the time we get into March, if you're not actively involved in a discipling relationship, that's not the leadership's fault. It's not because the DFW church doesn't believe in practicing this. It's going to be on you. Right now, we're, we're taking it slow, we're, we're doing a lot of teaching, we're laying the groundwork on a daily basis, but we're also doing it on a Wednesday and a Sunday. It's rare that we teach the same thing on a Wednesday and the same theme on a Sunday. But we're really serious about heating up and deepening the relationships that we have in here. And I'm not going to try to motivate you now how much we need that to grow spiritually and to be all that we need to be for God. You've had 28 days, hopefully, of, of that softening and chipping away at any resistance in your heart. But what's our, what's our real plan going to be to implement community in the body of Christ? Simply put, every disciple in the DFW church, certainly in the southwest region, is expected to be part of a discipling group. That's the expectation the elders have. That's the expectation the evangelists have. I believe that's the expectation that God has. I mean, if, if Jesus discipled that way, then how can we think we can do it some other way and, and not uh, imitate the greatest discipler of all? And uh, I think in a real practical way, the Bible gives us a lot of leeway on how to implement. It doesn't just spell it out. You do this, you know, every first day of the week, like we see with communion. And so my, uh, my direction to you as, as your leader, and the Bible says you should really obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Man, you know, I don't know if that ever really sobers you, but, dude, I'm doing really good to get my sorry sack to heaven. But now I'm going to be held accountable for trying to get a lot of you there too. So help me help you, okay? Because I want to get there too, okay? Uh, and so as far as practically speaking, here, here's what we, we are proposing. Every single disciple is part of a D group. And that D group meets at least minimum once a month. Now... I know some situations where D groups are meeting twice a month. I don't want to discourage that. But I say minimum once a month, and we are committed to be there just like we are on a Sunday morning. It's that kind of priority. And that D group needs to find a time where everyone can meet. And if it can't, then, then maybe that person who can't meet needs to find another group to be a part of that can be more accommodating. Secondly, everyone is in a one-on-one, -on -one, or at least a triad, discipling relationship, where three of you come together once a month, 
and you, you get down even more to being your brother's keeper, and, and you say, what do you do in these times? You simply practice one another Christianity. And after about two months here, you'll have a real good idea of what that looks like. It's not something weird. It's not something controlling. It's not something harsh. It's biblical community as God intended it to be. Try it. You'll like it. But that's the plan. And I really want to emphasize again, it is now on you. If this is not happening in your life, because we are going to certainly preach it and expect it and call people to it. Now, it's, it's not so much, guys, a meeting you go to, your D group. It's a group that you're a part of. It's family. It's community. It's where you practice one another Christianity. And the whole purpose of it is to help us mature and become more Christ-like. Anybody in here feel like they have room for that in their spiritual life? Been a disciple almost four decades. Boy, do I have a lot to change still. And when I forget, Connie often reminds me of it on a frequent basis. Doesn't get any better than this. How's it going to get any better than this? As I wind down my thoughts here, let me make several observations about group discipling. Here are some observations, some practicals. What a lot of us are doing one-on-one, Jesus did in groups. I really want you to see that tonight. Now, some of the reasons might be limited time. But I also believe it's great for opportunities to learn from each other. It forges family, and family has to be forged. You know what? I have one sibling, a sister. I have a mother who's still living. I got to tell you, I have two sons in L.A., and I have now two daughter-in-laws, Connie and I do. I have a daughter up in Denton. You know what's an amazing thing I'm learning as a uh, 58-year-old man? Is I still have to forge family. Because if I just kick back, you can get distance from your own children. Am am I... I mean, I know you have children in other places. I mean, you've got to make an effort. You've got to get on a plane and go see them. You've got to text them. You've got to actually call them and talk to them. Uh, they come visit you at Christmas, or maybe you go visit them. But if you don't make that kind of effort, you're, you're not going to forge family. It's the same in the family of God. And you can't do that with 72 people. You can't do that with, uh, you know, uh, 50 people. But you can do it with a small group. Point number two. And point number one was, what a lot of us are doing one-on-one, Jesus did in groups. Maximized his time. Number two, groups have a way of inspiring us. Can I let you in on a little secret? Okay, I hope I don't hurt you here. There are some Wednesday afternoons where I'm thinking... Wow, I I wish we didn't have regional midweek tonight. I'm not saying I feel that way every two weeks. I'm just saying there are some Wednesday afternoons. Now, Now, I know none of you have ever felt that way. But, but I, 
I've shared this before and I've got to share it again because I'm absolutely amazed that I don't think a single time I have come to a regional midweek have I left and said, wow, I feel worse going home than I did coming. You guys, for whatever reason, have a quirky way of inspiring me and spurring me on and encouraging me. And sometimes you do it just by coming up and telling me your problems, and that's kind of weird. But the fact that I look around and I see, wow, there, there are those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I'm, I'm encouraged. And so I just want you to know that uh, a group is so essential. That's what makes a mission team so powerful, is that that is, that is a group that, man, when we planted the Toronto church, we were with that little group of 20 three times a day. Morning, in the middle of the afternoon, and late at night. And for the first two months, we got together three times a day, and we just reported in all that God was doing. We prayed together, and then we started growing the church, and then we had our own little groups, and every group had its own little group. And we had 115 people baptized in one year with 20 people. And in Canada, where they don't even really think much about spiritual things. They're too busy trying to keep warm. But I'm just telling you, groups, groups have a way of inspiring us. Thirdly, there is an increased wisdom in groups. They prove, as we've seen already, a unique opportunity for special input and training. Things are surfaced better in a group than any other means available. Wisdom is. No one person, no one person has all the answers. Jesus often referred to the principle of group discipling. And, you know, he talks in Matthew 18 where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. You know, the context there is really interesting in Matthew 18. The context is dealing with ongoing sin and taking it before the church. I used to hear that scripture used to say, God is with small groups, even if only two or three in size. That's not the context, guys. And I'll let you know a little secret. My Bible says God is even with one. And there are many examples of that in the scriptures when there was just one. The context of Matthew 18 is the wisdom of a group to purge sin out of the body and to mature us in Christ. And how God provides much wisdom through the community of believers. Some great examples of this in Acts are Acts 6 where we have the choosing of the seven to solve a huge derailing problem in the evangelization of the world with widows being overlooked, Grecian widows being overlooked. And they come up with the choosing of the seven in that group. There's another group that gathers in Jerusalem because these Hebraic Christians, these Jewish Christians, We're now trying to bind all this stuff from the old law on Gentile Christians. We have people that still try to do that today. And they wrote a whole letter in Acts 15 to the church to straighten this out and said, listen, there's only a few things that we require. 
Don't eat your steak too rare. Abstain from blood. And a few other things. And thank God circumcision wasn't one of them, or we'd be having a lot fewer baptisms among the men. But I'm telling you, all that came out of all that came out of the wisdom of spiritual men in a group. I just really want you to have deep convictions that there is much to be gained by the wisdom in a group approach. And, um, you know, the bottom line is, we, we've got to be those in D groups who seek advice. You know, I, I'll tell you, one thing that's been really troubling, if I can just be completely honest with you, is to see so many, I shouldn't say so many, but quite a number of people make huge life decisions without seeking input from many advisors. It took us four years to decide where to live in the Metroplex after renting for four years. I sought so much advice, Connie and I did, about where we were eventually going to buy a house that, that I thought, you know, these people are going to hate me continuing to talk about it. I've seen people make huge decisions about buying a house and they haven't, in all honesty, really sought much input at all. If I can just be really candid, and of course I can't. And, and I've got to tell you, you know, a lot, is, a lot is played in by where you live. And how far away you are from disciples. And uh, whether or not, you know, you're really making a spiritual decision or a worldly decision. And I'm not here to, to, to make anyone feel uncomfortable tonight, to judge anyone. I'm glad we're planning little Bible talks over the Metroplex. All I'm really trying to say, and hear me clearly so you don't misunderstand me, you simply need to ask yourself, did you have many advisors in making the decisions in life you're making? Uh, whether it be, I'm going to move and, and go on this mission team, or I'm going to go, you know, follow my career here or there. Listen, I made huge decisions. I got out of the ministry in 2003. I was so tempted to move to Florida. Because I thought I could become a uh, Florida highway patrolman which was my second dream. And I knew they were hiring, and I knew the cost of living was cheap in Florida, and I knew the weather was warm. Oh, oh and then I mentioned I was close to Disney World. Oh. And then I liked the beach. You probably have heard that a few times. We got a lot of input. And we made the decision to stay in a region that we led for 13 years out of the ministry. That ain't easy. But it was the best spiritual decision we could have made. And I'm just trying to tell you guys, advice is huge. Proverbs 20.18 says, Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Last time I checked, we were all at war with an enemy, so we better be seeking a ton of advice. Enough on that for now, because we're going to hit on that more in another future lesson. Uh, and then finally, groups can be a great way of holding us accountable. Did I mention that groups are a great way of holding us accountable? Oh, I did. Okay. Let me wrap this up, because my time is up. I share with you these last practical suggestions. 
What do you do in a D group? Number one, pray for the Holy Spirit to lead the discussion. I learned that from Steve Johnson in New York City when he was there. He said, we just started every D group praying that the Holy Spirit will lead this discussion and take it where he wants to take it. And he said, it is amazing. I will go in thinking the D group is going to be about this, and the group is about something completely different, and it has met incredible needs. I'm not saying don't have a plan. I'm not saying don't think through what you're going to do, but leave room for God's Spirit to direct you and pray at the beginning of the group. You might also want to consider using the Bible. Another way to bring the Holy Spirit in it. Yeah, I, just a little side point. I'm not going to assume anything, but I, I know there are times we get together and we just share all of our wisdom, but we forget to bring some of God's in it. People don't really care as much what you think. They kind of care what God thinks, and it helps when you use the Bible and bring it in. Point number two, be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you can't go to the marriage enrichment weekend, I just gave it all to you in one sentence there. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. The leader of a D group should be a facilitator. It's not a monologue. It's a discussion. It's a dialogue after material is presented. And Romans 15, 14, there's someone with an overbearing D group leader right there. Romans 15:14 says that Paul was convinced that the disciples in Rome were competent to counsel one another. Some of the best e-groups I ever led as a facilitator was when I just stepped back and said, Brothers, what do you think about what was just said? And group discipling occurs, and relationships are forged, family is forged, accountability is had, and... People love each other deeply. Number three, a D group is only limited by your creativity. And if you can bring a little child and have him stand among some prideful men and make a D group out of it off the cuff, you're only limited by your creativity, as Jesus showed. But I would just say one of the best things you can do in a D group is to reinforce what you're being fed. My goodness, your Bible talks right now, Bible talk leaders, how could you not have them on 40 days of community? I heard about, uh, uh, you know, Pierre, I think it was, shared with me in our D-time on Tuesday, and yes, I have D-times. Uh, he shared that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was Pierre, that uh, in their, uh, their D-group, they're having different brothers share about what's really hit them from the 40 days of community, and he's having them each uh, take 20 minutes at a different D-group, or whatever it is, and share on it. That's powerful. That's, that's reinforcing what is already being taught. What hit you? How does it apply? Uh, take turns like Pierre is doing and sharing uh, their thoughts and letting different people have a chance to teach. Uh, I, one of my favorite D groups is where you just go around in a circle and you share about what you see in each other that's a strength. Mike, what do you see in Mike that is Christ-like? Man, you just love bomb this guy. There's so much in that guy that's Christ-like. I mean, if Jesus hung Christmas lights, Mike would hang Christmas lights. I mean, this guy is a disciple, but there's just so many things that you can do to encourage each other in a group like that. Uh, you know, 
one of the best D groups I, I lead is when I just say, okay, brothers, what's going on in your life right now that you'd like to talk about? Boom, great D group. Um, have a D group on how to share your faith. Great D group right now is, let's all talk about, let's take a few minutes to make a list of everyone that we can think of that we could invite at work, in our neighborhood, in our family to the marriage enrichment weekend. Let's just take five minutes right now or less and do that. Okay, now let's talk about who those people are. Let's, we won't have time to go through all of them, but, but, uh, but uh, Brian, share with me a couple people on your list and let's talk about how you might reach out to them. Okay, anybody got any feedback on how Brian's going to invite his mom and dad? And that, that's, that's a D group. I mean, that's a great group. You don't think anybody would be thrilled to have a group like that? Uh, you know, we, we've been blessed to convert both of our parents, but it hasn't been without seeking a lot of advice along the way and learning how to do it from others who have successfully done it. I think one of the greatest D groups you can have is just to say, okay, thanks everybody for coming tonight. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in the car and we're going to go serve this widow. Or we're going to go over to the mall and we're going to share our faith for this special Sunday we have coming up this Sunday. Here's some invites. Let's go out two by two and then we're going to come back and we're going to report after we have time to pray before we go. Guys, you're only limited in your D group by your own creativity. And then uh, the other thing I want to say fourthly is that confidentiality must be honored. When there are personal discussions and people are getting painfully open with their lives, it's not a time to run home and tell your wife or your husband, hey, guess what's going on in their life? Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, a gossip betrays a confidence. A D group needs to be a safe place. And if you're going to share something about someone else, you need to have permission to share that about that person. And then finally, the final thing, number five, lust, love must be at the heart of everything we do. That sums it all up, folks. The second greatest commandment after loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul is to love your neighbor as yourself. My Bible says love is patient, kind, not proud, not rude, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, never fails. Sound like a D group you want to be a part of? Love must be at the heart of everything we do. I close with homework. Decide. Pray. About the D group that you're currently a part of. That you're going to take what may be a very mediocre group at this point in some cases and say, okay, my eyes have been open tonight to what a real D group looks like, how it functions, what Jesus did, and we want to set that as our standard. If you're not in a D group tonight, then here's your homework. Talk to your Bible talk leader and say, do we have a D group around here? 
Or if they do have a D group and you're just not willing to be a part of it, say, I turn myself in. It's time to stop talking about community and I'm going to live like a disciple or I'm going to go find one of the other 1.5 million churches in the DFW area that don't believe in one another Christianity being practiced much outside of what's being taught in the pulpit. And I don't say that to be offensive. I just say that if you don't think that's what makes us distinct, not saying we're the only ones doing it, but if you don't think that makes us distinct, then i got news for you. Uh, check out some other churches and you'll see it's just not practiced. Because it stays on the theory level. And we're not going to keep it on the theory level here. We're going to bring it down to the concrete and put it into practice. Because I I need help. I need help in getting to heaven. And so, let's pray as we close out tonight.